This is It Was a Thing on TV. Spoiler number one is Dr. Lee Franz. It stinks. What is going on? <laughs> what is going on? Episode 38, Submission 165, The Critic. I gotta pull up the, the airing history. This is called an edit point. The Critic originally aired on ABC and then Fox from January 26th of 1994 through May 21st of 1995 for 23 episodes. is a test of Faye Dunaway's vocal cords. We repeat, this is only a test. Still Hans Zimmer's best work. <laughs> now Hans Zimmer has done many great good things since then. Well, the among Dark... Hans. Among, yeah. yeah. It's second next to The Dark Knight. There you go. Well, and also got to give props to Alf Clausen, too. Yes. He of The Simpsons. He of Alf. Yes. Alf Clausen deserves credit, too. Back in 1990, a little show called The Simpsons put Fox on the map. And it really sort of changed uh, the television landscape. I mean, it's still on TV now, 30 years later. Maybe not as good as it used to be. Maybe not as popular as it used to be, but it's still around. Even though this isn't technically a spinoff of The Simpsons, you sort of got the critic from the same people, uh, and there were a bit of crossovers. We'll get to that in a little bit. The critic, first off, this is like one of my favorite cartoons of all time. This is so underrated. It died a sad death, a quick death. Uh, and really, it had so much fodder. All, all the the contemporary movies at the time, plus also they made fun of older movies. It, it was brilliant. And it wasn't The Simpsons in terms of necessarily you know, saying eat my shorts and Homer Simpson being an oaf. It was sort of like highbrow comedy or higherbrow comedy. There was still... It was smart comedy. It, it was smart comedy, but there, there was still... There were still goofy moments. Uh, specifically... Um, yeah, well, Jay Sherman, who's the main character, he is the critic. He's the title critic in the show. 
Uh, he was a a jolly fellow, let's say that. He he was um, he was portly, and uh, th- there were gags where his stomach would uh, be sort of like his conscience, you know, saying, "Okay, hey, listen here, big guy, I need food. You better give me some food right now, darn it." <laughs> but uh, also, I mean, there were belching jokes, and oh my gosh, if yeah, I think it happened a couple of times. When Jay Sherman belched, it was loud. It was obnoxious. So the uh, comedy was a smart comedy, like Chico said. It it also, you know, there were some roots to the Simpsons. Um, There was juvenile kind of sort of potty humor like the Simpsons. Um, And and it really, now that I think about it, when it was on Fox... It was on between The Simpsons, Good Lead-In, and Married with Children. So you have, like, the two bookends of, like, horrible fathers, not necessarily horrible fathers, but maybe sort of incompetent fathers or or maybe call unorthodox fathers. And then you've got Jay Sherman, who's, he was a separated dad, divorced, but uh, by no means did he live his life the way that Al Bundy or Homer Simpson did. No. No. Well, I mentioned his son. His son, his son was Marty. And Marty was equally portly like his father. Well, well he's a jovial sort. He's portly like his dad his heart's in the right place and he is a very confused i want to say he's a very confused 13 year old 12 close enough there you go and marty went to a international school and the international school was kind of unique um and and they play on this in a couple of episodes where um where Marty wants to become student body president uh, and writes a speech that uh, that Jay Sherman wrote. Marty Sherman also tried dating Fidel Castro's granddaughter once, and uh, that was quite an interesting episode uh, with him trying to stow away uh, on a plane in a guitar case. And uh-huh. uh, and thing is, once he got caught, you know they're in Cuba; they can't turn around and send him back. This was uh, before the. Uh tensions mellowed in oh yeah in yeah this is like 20 at least 20 years before the tensions mellowed um but also there was a talent show at the school and marty did a belly dancing routine and the piece de resistance of marty at the talent show was he had an image of the soldiers on iwo jima not planting the flag just yet, but he contorted his stomach in such a way that the the uh, people on Iwo Jima planted the flag, and you've got Stars and Stripes Forever playing in the background, and the crowd goes wild, and everybody else at the talent show is, like, not impressed. Marty was just like his father. Also, the same appetite. He, he was uh, heavy set. He was a big kid. But uh, just like uh, Jay Sherman, Marty liked his food. Uh, I, I remember one episode that Carvel's comes into play because he wanted to get a, a cookie puss 
or Cookie Opus. And he also mentioned Fudgy the Whale, all Carvel creations. That wasn't the only character in the show. That, that, that's Jay's home life to an extent. Uh, there's also his work life. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. His work life, uh, his, his, he worked for Duke Phillips. Duke at, Phillips. Yes. Phillips Broadcasting. Formerly, Phillips Broadcasting, formerly Duke's House of Chicken and Waffles. Exactly. Duke's Chicken and Waffles. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and Duke Phillips was basically the Ted Turner of the station Jay was at. He was. He, he exactly was that. He was the Ted Turner of Phillips Broadcasting. And um, and he was like rich out of the wazoo. One thing about Duke that uh, that shows up in a couple episodes is he... And I don't think they ever say his, his age. Oh, he's 39 years, uh, years old. He, uh, yeah. He's 39. What? That's what it says. Duke is... Supposedly 39 years old, which honestly, I, I don't believe it because I always thought he was older than that. Not much older. I was thinking later in his 40s, but he's 39 years old. And his physical abilities, and this is shown in at least one episode, like doing exercises, even exercises with Jay Sherman on his back. He's in good shape, unlike Ted Turner, probably. We don't know that, but we'll just say that. And Jay Sherman's show, Coming Attractions, is on the Phillips Broadcasting. Yeah, Duke Phillips is, he, he is maybe not just Ted Turner. He's like Ted Turner plus, I would say, maybe Jeff Bezos, even though Jeff Bezos wasn't really around in 1994, 95. Plus also maybe even a little bit of Walt Disney. Maybe? I would get it. It was sort of like if Ted Turner and Walt Disney sort of kind of merged into a singularity. The reason I mention that is because Duke Phillips also had an amusement park. He also ran for president <clears throat> once. We'll get to that later. We'll, we'll get to that later. Uh, he also had a disease. He had everything. Jay Sherman's family life goes beyond Marty. Uh, you have his father. Oh my gosh, his father, Franklin oh. Sherman. This, he might have been the this. best character on the show. Oh yes, the, the, this show would be nothing without him. Frank uh, Franklin Sherman. Is it just me, or does he look a little bit like Hugh Hefner? It's not just you. Yeah, uh, and he certainly didn't act like Hugh Hefner. Um. The best way I could describe him, and I, I don't want to be mean, is he's like maybe post-stroke in terms of mentality. He's a little off-kilter. Let's just say that. He's eccentric. He, he He's eccentric, but also weird. Um, maybe even, I don't want to say delusional, but uh, something that came to mind is, you know, uh, he, he, I remember him talking about his first date and he was in some sort of dreamland dream sequence with a cow and he, uh, he got hit on the head with a hammer and colored bubbles started coming out of a pipe he was smoking. Again, very weird, very eccentric. 
But also at the same time, very rich. And also, Franklin was the former governor of New York on the show. And we found this out during the episode where where Duke ran for president. But as we said, we'll get to that later. He's also a former ambassador, cabinet member, Rhodes Scholar, and apparently U.S. Secretary of Balloon Doggies. Oh, yes, that's mentioned in one of the episodes. He, he was the U.S. Secretary for Balloon Doggies, yes. Uh, to which he says, and I'm doing my piss-poor Franklin Sherman impersonation, I didn't ask to be Secretary of Balloon Doggies. The Balloon Doggies demanded it. We mentioned some of Franklin Sherman's eccentricities. Some of them include um, he dressed up as the Energizer Bunny once. So he had the drum with him and he kept, he said he kept on going and going. At a dinner party, he rubbed his rear end on dinner plates. Uh, he wore underpants on his head at the dinner table. Uh, he drove a monster truck through Guernica, Picasso's Guernica, and, uh, and destroyed uh, the creation of Adam on the Sistine Chapel with a helicopter. Plus also, and if you saw my Instagram, my personal Instagram at New Year's, he was also Baby1937. <laughs> Everybody boogie with Baby37. <laughs> how, how exactly was he named Baby37? Did they just pick the best baby around well, the time? You know, of- well, he was 64 years old. And if this is 1994, 1994 minus 64 years old would be 1930. So I'm, I'm assuming it's conceivable as a six-year-old he might have worn a New Year's diaper. I don't know. I definitely wouldn't have worn a diaper, I hope, at, at age six. But that's his well, problem, not mine. Well he's, well, he's Franklin Sherman. I mean, That's a Franklin Sherman thing. That's definitely a Franklin Sherman thing, yes. And there's his wife, Eleanor. And Eleanor, she's the sane one in the pair. Yes. Eleanor is kind of has a voice that's similar to Catherine Hepburn. Yes, very. Yes, yes, yes. Good call. Mm-hmm. And she's Jay's adopted mother. And she has all her wits about her. She really doesn't do anything goofy. Um Maybe the worst thing she did is she wrote a, uh, a book, a children's book about Jay called The Fat Little Pig. And it made a not too veiled reference to the fat little pig being Jay because the face of the pig looked just like Jay, except where a nose is, there was a snout. And so Jay would, would go in public and kids would say, hey, look, it's the fat little pig. Oink, 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 oink. And obviously that got embarrassing after the first half dozen kids or so. Eleanor is the rational side of, of that couple. And sometimes you saw Jay's ex-wife, not very often, named Ardith, and she was just an angry, bitter divorcee. Let's just, now, now, she was angry and bitter before the divorce. In fact, there's a clip in a flashback where she says, I don't know why I married you. 
And it was right after they got married. It's, yeah, it's when they had their wedding picture taken. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh. But but it's always something about money, you owe me, uh, alimony. Yeah, she, she was not the best of wives, to say the least. Not even close. But, but Jay's love life got better. Because he found Alice in the second season. And Alice and Jay were, they were such a adorable couple alice was married to cyrus Tompkins, a country singer but she left him and and she was suspicious because of of cyrus's album which was called i'm being unfaithful to my wife alice Tompkins." you heard me alice Tompkins." big red flag uh, just a little bit she has a, a certain southern naivete to her and she has the drawl and she has the the mannerisms and mindset of of a good southern female yeah and interestingly enough she is played by the uh, divinely amusing park overall who played an uh an identical character on empty nest very true good point and alice also had a little daughter from that marriage penny and penny was just so adorable <laughs> oh god all i can remember her is uh, again, voiced by the late, great Russie Taylor. I must taste blood! Well, Today, no. she's well, been at your party 15 minutes and she already wants to taste blood. Well, but the thing is, overall, Penny really enjoyed Jay. She enjoyed Jay as a stepfather, if you will, but also just as as a good role model, a good adult in her life. Also, some other characters that we're going to go over just very quickly. You had you had Jeremy Hawk, who the best. Well, he's an Australian actor. He's Jay's best friend, and um, <laughs> uh, he, he was uh, quite the ladies' man. Let's say that. Yeah, uh, he was an he was an Australian actor who was. It seemed like he was perennially in between gigs. Yes, he was always yeah. Didn't have a steady job. He was always yeah, yeah tr- uh, trying to find the next gig. But yeah. also, again, he he was a, a fan with the ladies. He he was a real charmer with the ladies. He had that Australian accent. And it seems like he can't get the ladies off him, even if he's talked like Bullwinkle. Yes, and he did that on an episode. I could even talk like Bullwinkle. And another character that's on this show is Doris, who is voiced by Doris Grau, who, if you don't know who she is, she was Lunch Lady Doris on The Simpsons. Maybe a bit of a stretch. Doris, playing Doris on one show... And playing Doris on another show. <laughs> it's almost like Tony Danza. Anytime he plays a role on TV, who does he play? He plays Tony. <laughs> Although, sadly, on this show, Doris doesn't grease up groundskeeper Willie. No. Uh, on this show, she plays Jay's makeup artist. And the one thing she is known for is she smokes like a chimney stack. Anytime you see her, there's a cigarette in her mouth. And even one time, Jay Sherman took cigarettes out of her mouth. And what would pop up? 
another cigarette. And I think you even heard like a, a cash register cha-ching. So you took the uh, one cigarette out, cha-ching, new cigarette comes out. Took that one out, cha-ching, new cigarette comes out. Already lit, by the way. <laughs> but also in one episode, she was almost Jay's biological mother. But DNA tests without the assistance of Maury Povich said she is not the mother. Aww. Aww. Uh, we should also mention that uh, Jay did have a younger sister named Margot, and she was a biological uh, child of Franklin, Eleanor. She wasn't adopted. She's 17, and she's a junior at Miss Hathaway's School for Untouched Girls. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh. And the thing about Margot is she's nothing like her her mother is this socialite who went to finishing school. Margot can't stand it, and she is, to use a modern term, woke. And also, she's nothing like her dad. No. Uh, plus, also, like most teenagers, she's a little bit on the rebellious side, because she did actually date a grunge rock singer in one episode. And uh, she was very close to losing her virginity with him. But uh, she discovered that he was cheating on her, and she broke up with him. In addition, I mentioned uh, Jeremy Hawk earlier. Uh, Jeremy and Jay Sherman would meet at a restaurant, and the restaurant was run by a gentleman named Vlada. Vlada, Ver Vlada Veramirovich. Yes. And I know Greg has stuff to say about Vlada. Oh, yeah. Vlada was, like, was like excellent. He was like one of the best characters on the show. He was, and he had this high-ish voice with a, oh. a European accent. Yes. And he ran the restaurant, and the restaurant was called Lan Riche, which they actually showed in one episode. The, the name was flashing in neon, and it went from Lan Riche to its name in English, which is called The Wealthy Jackass, or The Rich Jackass. But it, 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 uh, on the show, it was called The Wealthy Jackass. And he'd always welcome Jay Sherman by saying, Ah, Mr. Sherman! And he'd actually sort of say it like that, with, with that high voice and, and that accent. Vlada's son Zoltan also attends the UN school that Marty attends. And uh, he sings, in the, the talent show I mentioned earlier, he sings uh, unintentionally hilarious songs about his homeland. Uh, I remember a song like, poopy and everybody left ha 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 and he keeps on going poopy ha and it turns out it was like a song about like the mass genocide of his country or something like that so it really like offended everybody is laughing at him because of the lyrics of this song it's about you know like the torment that happened in his country Oh, mm -hmm. yeah. But actually, I want to go through some of the names, um, uh, some of the voices. Uh, I, I know that uh, Chico and Greg mentioned some of the voices of some of the characters. I think we need to give credit where credit's due because the voices on this show were absolutely amazing and some of the best voices in the business, to be honest. Yeah, and uh, we, we, ha we haven't even mentioned who voiced Jay yet. No, that's where I'm going to start. Yep, begin uh, with the big one. Yes. Kind of figuratively and literally. 
John Lovitz. Yes. Th- this this is like his character. He did this perfectly. Uh, you, you know John Lovitz nowadays from the TV show Funny You Should Ask. But even before then, he was on SNL. And he was on SNL during the, the great uh, comeback years of the mid uh, to late 80s. And I believe yep. even the early 90s. Yeah, because he went to 91. And, oh, he... he the pride he, of Tarzana, California. And he was the perfect person for this role. He was great. Uh, Christine Cavanaugh played Marty Sherman. So that's sort of like Nancy Cartwright with Bart Simpson. You had a female voice actor voicing a male character. And interestingly enough, who voiced Margot Sherman? Nancy Cartwright. There you go. Yeah, Garrett Graham is the voice of Franklin Sherman. Uh, Judith Ivey, who we mentioned earlier, uh, was Eleanor Sherman. And Doris Grau, as we said, Lunch Lady Doris, was uh, Doris, the makeup uh, lady. Maurice LaMarche, what can you say about him? He is an amazing voice actor. You cannot actor. say enough about Maurice LaMarche. He's no, literally he, the man of a thousand voices. Well, he, thousand he, and one. Nobody he, can touch blank. You're absolutely right. He is a legend. He, he voiced... Now, these are more or less minor characters. He didn't voice any of the major characters, but Jeremy Hawk, so the, the Australian actor he voiced, he voiced the principal of the UN school, he voiced Howard Stern. Uh, specifically, I remember there was a, a parody of the Lion King called the Cockroach King. And, uh, <laughs> oh, God. Uh, well, and this, this, was it Simba that was a little lion? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. I, I don't know if it's Simba or Pumbaa. I've never seen the Lion King. I got to change it. And the Simba role in the Cockroach King was a cockroach, but it was Howard Stern. You could you could see the the, the shades the, the sunglasses Howard Stern wore and the long you know frizzy hair that he's he's had for like thirty years now and he had that Howard Stern voice and he even said to uh, one of the bugs in the in the audience sort of like the opening scene of the Lion King Hey baby show me your thorax <laughs> but also oh and this. Orson Welles. Yes, Orson. He did Orson Welles. Yes, and, 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 and at least on one or two episodes, there were uh, spoofs of the Orson Welles commercials, which you can easily find on YouTube, where he was selling wine, selling peas. Oh, rosebud frozen peas. Rosebud frozen peas. Yes, and I think I'll take a handful for the road. Yes, yes, yes. This show is basically was basically my introduction to Orson Welles. It, it sort of was mine too, but also the, the Orson Welles voice. It wasn't really much of an Orson Welles voice when you actually hear Orson Welles, because when you hear the voice, it's the exact same voice Maurice LaMarche used when he voiced Brain on Pinky and the Brain and Animaniacs. Well, Pinky, well, the brain was sort of based off Orson Welles. Well, it was still the same voice. Yeah. 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 And uh, Vlada was voiced by Nick Jameson. And Ardith, the ex-wife, actually had two people voice her. uh, Brenda Vaccaro and Rhea Perlman. And we mentioned Park Overall as Alice and Russie Taylor as Penny. 
Uh, Kath Susie, another name that's been associated with The Simpsons for years. She did various voices. And same with another Simpsons voice, Tris McNeil. The one voice she's really credited with here is Humphrey the Hippo, which was essentially the critics' version of Barney the Dinosaur. Yeah. And they even did the, I love you, you love me. They did a song very similar to that. Uh, and uh, the, the only real time I remember seeing Humphrey the Hippo is on one episode, the floor of the studio where uh, Coming Attractions was uh, was being recorded was sort of flimsy, and Jay was obviously kind of bulky, kind of heavy, and he fell through the floor, fell through about three floors, and ultimately fell through the Humphrey the Hippo show while the kids are have the, uh, are holding hands and singing the I Love You song. And uh, <laughs> so, so that's like all you see of Humphrey the Hippo. Maybe a little bit more, but not a whole lot more. It wasn't a, a real recurring character. But enough about the voices and uh, the characters. The show itself... Yeah. Now, oh God, we can, we can, you know what? All the things that you can say about the show, and all the things that have been said about the show, we could fill like five episodes. I mean, it was. I mean, the the writing was brilliant. The parody and the satire was, you know, what? Al Jean and Mike Rice are just uh, masters of the art form, as it were. Well, I was actually going to take it a different direction. I was going to talk about uh, <clears throat> uh, the broadcasting and, and production standpoint. Oh, okay. Yeah, too, that too. So the show itself, it started off on ABC as a mid-season replacement on Wednesday nights following uh, not necessarily not an entry right now, but maybe somebody might want to add it. Thea. I'm adding oh. it right now. Oh, oh, yeah. oh there we yeah. go. Oh, yes. The, uh, the show that had Brandy and Shelton Benjamin's mama. So the critic replaced uh, a short-lived sitcom uh, and also future installment called George, which was a sitcom starring George Foreman. And guess what, guys? He had four kids named George. Ooh! And one named Frida. Anyway... And then, after the first 13 episodes, it was canceled on ABC. Aww. Aww. But it found Second Life on Fox. And it aired, as I said earlier, 8.30 on Sunday nights, smack between The Simpsons and Married with Children. Which, I, yeah, I think really it was not a bad time spot. You have The Simpsons, which is, or at least was, uh, the most popular show on Fox at the time. And Married with Children is probably maybe the second most popular show on Fox at that time. And they put the critic right in the middle. And as I said earlier, it's sort of diametrically opposite of those other two shows because Jay Sherman's the thinking man. And ultimately it aired 10 episodes and it got canceled as well, even though the ratings were on the rebound. And actually, believe it or not, there almost was a third life for this show. It almost what? Ended up, yeah, it almost ended up on UPN. How is that possible? Uh, UPN says we'd like to pick up the show. 
<laughs> but U- UPN didn't pick it up, even though nine scripts had already been written for a planned third season. So I think the people at the critic knew they had something there. It's just ABC didn't want it, and Fox didn't want it, and uh, UPN didn't want it. But one place, and this is where it got a lot of publicity, a lot of views, one place that wanted it was Comedy Central. This aired on Comedy Central in a late-night cartoon block on Sunday nights, and that's where I I, I fell in love with it right there. I mean, I remember seeing it when it was on Fox at ABC, but it was sort of one of those, oh, yeah, it was on the air, then it was off the air a couple of weeks later. But once you start seeing these episodes, like I said, over a three- or four-year period on Comedy Central, you, you, you sort of fell in love with them. Yeah. But then, and, and this may be in part due to the uh, Comedy Central airings, there was a brief revival of the critic, kind of, sort of. Very kind of, sort of. In the year 2000, the website shockwave.com, remember when shockwave was a thing on the internet? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Shockwave had 10 web-exclusive episodes. And, uh, And actually, those episodes, and I remember... Back 20 years ago, I actually saved them on my computer. They're actually available on the DVD box set. So if you can find it, I'm sure it's on Amazon. You, you can get those uh, webisodes that you couldn't necessarily... Well, you could save if you're tech savvy, but yeah, I'm guessing the, the resolution, especially like nowadays since monitors are so much better and animation so much better... Does it stand the test of time after 20 years? I'm not sure. I'm going to have to revisit that on my DVDs. We mentioned earlier about uh, a relationship, a crossover with The Simpsons. There actually was, it sort of crossed over both ways, albeit not really The Simpsons appearing on The Critic per se. There was an episode where Jay Sherman actually was on The Simpsons. Yeah, it was A Star is Burns and uh, Matt Groening who was, of course, the creator of The Simpsons, had a bone of contention with uh, James L. Brooks, who produces both The Simpsons and The Critic. Uh, He saw it as nothing more than advertisement for The Critic, and he had an LMNO for that episode. Yeah, his name's not even credited in the episode, if I recall. Yeah, that that would be what an LMNO is. Leave my name off. Oh, I learned something. And um, as a real stretch, what did Jay Sherman play on this crossover episode with The Simpsons? He played a film critic. A film critic at a film festival. And this episode was right before the second season premiere. Yes. And it has probably, in my opinion, one of the most famous bits ever in the history of The Simpsons. Boo Worms. <laughs> Are you saying boo or boo words? Boo! boo! I was saying boo words. Uh, oh, oh, and the second funniest bit ever from The Simpsons: man getting hit by football. <laughs> <laughs> or as Homer Simpson famously called it, "football in the groin." <laughs> 
But the football in the groin had a football in the groin. I'll tell you what, when I saw that when I was 11 years old, I died laughing for, I swear to God, a half hour. Oh, I recorded the episode, and then I would just slow the football getting hit in Hans Bolfman's groin, and I'd die every time. And that's 11-year-old Greg Diener, everybody. Now you know where he gets. <laughs> but also, The Simpsons sort of appeared on The Critic as well. Uh, there was a costume ball once, and Jay and Alice, they went as Homer and Marge Simpson. Well, there also was a, uh, a brief appearance uh, in an episode uh, called Dial M for Mother where uh, Jay Sherman was being interviewed by Geraldo, and he was talking over his audience's heads using a lot of college words. So a family that's watching this interview is getting bored and says, let's change the channel, and they change it to The Simpsons, and they see Homer, after stepping on a rake, saying, don't! And Bart saying, I caramba. And what does the, the father of the family say? Now this I understand. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's sort of de self-deprecating. It was a smart comedy. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It, it, it was sort of like polar opposites of the Simpsons. But I think that's part of the reason we love it. Indeed it is. How about we look at some episodes and maybe reflect on them? Oh, yes. Yep. We start with the pilot from January 26, 1994, where Jay Sherman gets a second chance at love when a gorgeous movie star named Valerie Fox, voiced by Jennifer Lean, who you may remember from season one of Voyager and all of Men in Black, the series... But it may go no. all to pieces if Jay doesn't give Valerie a glowing review for her latest movie, the basic instinct-inspired erotic thriller, Kiss of Death. Here's the thing. Kiss of Death? Uh, Valerie Fox and Kiss of Death. She bad! Well, th there's a lot of comparisons here to, to Sharon Stone in terms of looks, in, in terms of actions. Uh... Valerie Fox has long, flowing blonde hair, starlit looks. See, even at one point when talking with Jay Sherman, does the old Sharon Stone leg cross. Oh, my. You know what I'm talking about. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so in the end... Valerie and, and Jay sort of have a relationship, but it gets broken off because Jay gave Valerie a bad review in the movie Kiss of Death. Yeah. And, 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 and here's the thing about Valerie. You know how every she's, try, she's trying to convince everybody that she's not dating Jay just to get a good review. And for a while it seems to work, but... The truth came out when Jay walked through the door and Valerie slaps him, only to say, you're short, you're fat, and even for a critic, you're ugly. And then the best part of the episode is she's going to the airport and Jay's like, now I know people think that I'm a cynic, but I'm not because I know you're coming back to me now. 
Now! 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 And I think you have to envision that every, like, image when he says now gets further and further uh, away. Yeah. So it might be nearby on the first now, but then you pull back a little bit on the second one. The third one, she's on the plane. The fourth one, the plane's leaving. Yeah. And the fifth one's all that's left is that guy with that like, that thing that cleans all the garbage. Mm-hmm. Garbage can? No, that you know those that thing at the airports where you sweep the garbage. Yeah, those, no, just those, can something like that. <laughs> okay, but also I just want to share the number of viewers this had. If it received this many viewers nowadays, it would be on for twenty years. Oh yes, fifteen point three million people saw the pilot. Tells you how much television has changed over twenty six years. Yeah, and even fifteen point five million people back in nineteen ninety four was a ton. This was like this was an incredible, incredible show back in the day, or at least incredible numbers to begin with. Uh, they fell off a little bit. We'll get to that as we move on. Uh, the the second episode in terms of production, it actually looks like it aired fourth, is uh, entitled "Miserable," and this is. This episode provided maybe the most memorable moment in the critics' history. Miserable was based on the movie Misery. If you've ever seen the movie Misery, you have James Caan playing an author, and you have Kathy Bates playing essentially an obsessed fan. Paul is caught in a blizzard. His car goes off the road. A nurse named Annie Wilkes finds Paul and brings her to his rem- her remote home. And then he regains consciousness and finds himself bedridden with broken legs and a dislocated shoulder. And he claims to be his number one fan and talks a lot about him and his novels. And that is essentially the basis of this episode. Uh, except just, you know, change some names, uh, change, uh, change the location to an apartment in New York City. Instead of being tied by ropes, he's being tied down with film. He gets saved because of um, because because of a, a a display for when he had a a book. And this uh, display, it had an auto, uh, automated moving arm, and it would say, "What phrase repeatedly? Say it with me, guys." Buy Buy my book. Buy my book. Buy my book. And and ultimately, once he's rescued, uh, this gets so annoying that the police actually shoot it. Probably the best moment ever. And and I feel feel almost compelled to, to add right now, talking about books and talking about previous episodes, buy Adam's book. Buy Adam's book. Buy Adam's book. A little bit of uh, trivia about this episode. It was supposed to. It was actually supposed to air in production order, but it was put off for a couple of weeks because ABC censors barred it from being shown due to unsuitable content. Really? Mm-hmm. What was unsuitable about that episode? Yeah, what would be so unsuitable for the people at ABC to say, nope, we're not airing this? 
Probably uh, being kidnapped and tied to the bed. I don't know. I, I don't know what was going through. I, uh, I saw I things on the original run of Twin Peaks that were more disturbing than that. But but it did ultimately air and aired on the twenty on the tw- on the sixth on the February sixteenth. Thank you, Brain. And I want to add who wrote this episode. Uh, Steve Levitan, who you might better know from some other shows of his, including a little something called Arrested Development, another little something called Modern Family, and another thing, future installment. L.A. to Vegas. But also, future installment, Greg the Bunny. Very soon, future installment, Greg the Bunny. There you go. And, and, and another future installment. Stacked. Yes. So, so yeah, he wrote this episode before uh, really hitting the big time. Episode three, which is actually the, the second aired episode. Marty's first date. Marty invites his father, Jay, to career day at school where Marty falls for a Cuban girl named Carmen who is later revealed to be the granddaughter of Fidel Castro. We talked about this earlier, about Marty stowing away in the plane in a guitar case, and then the guitar case opens up, and next thing you know, there's five, six uh, security agents around him with guns drawn, and he explains, oh, I just wanted to, to see Carmen and, and, uh, and go down to her homeland, Cuba, which... Obviously, in 1994, was was not a thing. And, uh, yeah, lo and behold, uh, the grandfather is Fidel Castro. He's actually treated like a, a nice, grandfatherly human being. He's not treated like the dictator he was. My takeaway is there was a parade going on. I forget what the parade was for. And it was commentated by what could best be described as a Wheeler Scott type of figure or character. And I'm guessing uh, somebody else from around that time, maybe like a Jane Pauley type, but I remember the Willard Scott one and the parade was being sponsored by toilet paper now in rough and extra rough. Oh, ah, okay. Going to episode three, dial M for mother. Third episode, episode four. Episode uh, four. Yeah, third yeah. Ep- third aired episode, but fourth in production. There terms. you go. When test audiences brand Jay Sherman worse than Hitler, Duke sets oh, up a- Oh yeah. <laughs> Duke sets up a TV special where Geraldo Rivera interviews Jay with his adoptive mother Eleanor, which falls apart when Jay yells at Eleanor. Yeah, Eleanor reveals some stuff about Jay, which Jay didn't take too kindly towards. And I believe it had to do something uh, with him as a baby and something he said when he had, like, diaper rash or something like that. And he just said, Mom, stop it. This interview's over. I don't want to talk to you anymore. And... um, and so, you know, that was part of the episode, and the rest of it was sort of trying to rectify the relationship. Yeah. And the thing of it is, uh, Eleanor turns out that she was taken to hospital because of what I'm assuming is broken heart syndrome. Aww. Episode 5, 
both in terms of production and order of airing, is a little devil do you. Eleanor forces Margot to get prepared for and attend a debutante ball, despite Margot's protests over how sexist and elitist it is. Meanwhile, Jay gets into a ratings war with children's show host Humphrey the Hippo. Yes! Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Then it turns into something else entirely. Also, I'd just like to, to point out that Humphrey the Hippo, which is linked here in Wikipedia, what does it take you to if you click through it? It takes you to Barney and Friends. <laughs> <laughs> Bravo! Very nice, Wikipedia. Very nice. Well done. Episode 6, Eyes on the Prize. Jay rethinks his career when his thousandth episode bash is a dud. He seeks advice from image consultant Adolf Hitmaker, which was voiced by Phil Hartman, but his advice and all other attempts at recreating his TV image prove unsuccessful. This is the episode where uh, he, he was actually looking for another Pulitzer. Now I remember this episode. If the movie stinks, just don't go. Yes, that, that's the line that like everybody says when he gets his Pulitzer. If the movie stinks, just don't go. If the movie stinks, just don't go. And Here comes father... Franklin. Yes, what did Franklin say? Yes. If the movie stinks, don't see no. Don't see no, yes. <laughs> but it, but there is some truth in what he said. Basically, it's like if it's if if it's based on a TV show, don't go. If it's a sequel, give it a rest. If it's a remake of the classic, rent the classic. He's not wrong. But also, this episode had one of my favorite uh, movie parodies. And that was Arthur 3, Revenge of the Liver. Oh, boy. Yeah, where Arthur gets diagnosis that he has less than a year to live. But he informs the doctor. cute hepatitis. And you have a cute little butt. <laughs> but, he, but he informs the doctor to don't look now, but someone's stolen all your popsicles. Which is exactly the same thing I've, I've thought to myself whenever I visited the doctor. Someone has stolen all the popsicles. So this episode also features Jay Sherman's student film titled L'Artiste Mort, which means the artist is dead in French. They like their French phrases here. And the one big takeaway, now first off, it's so bizarre, but at the end you see Jay Sherman's feet dangling like he hung himself, unfortunately. But then uh, someone comes in the scene and says, Oh no, my Prometheus! And you can hear him whisper, That's Prometheus! And then you see Finn pop up. F-I-N. Finn. End of the movie. And hmm. everybody is, uh, is sitting there. Uh, Jeremy's watching this. Marty's watching this. And they've all got like this look of disbelief as the film ends and you hear the, the film reel Thwap, 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 as it goes, is going around. <laughs> no, it's Prometheus. <laughs> oh, no, Prometheus. Oh, no, Prometheus. That's Prometheus. <laughs> yes. 
Episode seven, every Doris has her day. Oh, Doris Day. Sorry, joke there. A little play on words. Jay befriends his makeup lady, Doris, after they attend a musical adaptation of The Hunchback of Notre Dame and thinks she may be the mother who gave him up for adoption years ago. We talked about that earlier, that, as Maury would say, she is not the mother. Uh, But I do like this episode because I thought it had a lot of heart in it. Had a lot of heart, had a lot of soul, and had uh, one of the greatest ending lines I've ever heard in a musical. Brought to you by Toyota, the hatchback fit for a hunchback. (laughs) That's why we said this is like an intelligent TV show. This may have been almost too smart for their audience, but it was darn good. Episode 8, Marathon Mensch. Jay's masculinity is called into question after Doris rescues Jay from a studio fire. So Jay trains for the New York Marathon. And he actually does take part in the marathon. It takes him like forever to finish the marathon, but he gets it done. And I think he did it for Marty. Which makes sense because he is Marty's role model. He is Marty's everything and vice versa. Yeah, but also I remember in this episode there was a uh, there was a parody of the Bad News Bears starring Tony Curtis called Bad News Mets, and what I remember is it included a joke about when Vince Coleman threw a firecracker at Dodgers Stadium. <laughs> that would that would have been very timely at the time. He wouldn't have been with the Mets at the time, but it was definitely very timely because. By that point, I think Vince Coleman would have been probably with the Royals, if I remember correctly. Yes. Mm-hmm. But still, but still, the firecracker incident, I believe, was about 1990? No, it was 93. 93? Okay. 90 would have been his last year with the Cardinals. Ah, okay. I, 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 I stand corrected. All right. Uh, episode 9, L.A.J., Jay moves to Los Angeles when studio executive Gary Grossman, who is voiced by Billy Crystal, offers the critic a chance to write the second sequel to the Ghost Chasers franchise. And by the way, in Wikipedia, Ghost Chasers links directly to Ghostbusters. Shocker, I know. Mm Mm-hmm. And and the thing about and one of those and again it had one of those memorable but at the same time not scenes. I showed it to this one guy. He said it had heart. I showed it to Jazzman Joe. It's got soul. And I showed it to Hasidic Carey. It could have been worse. <laughs> Ultimately, Jay believed he actually was going to sell this script and it turned out that it ended up in the circular file and uh, Jay was uh, a little upset and and went back to New York. Aww. Yeah. Episode 10, Dr. Jay. Duke is diagnosed with a rare disease and Jay is determined to find a cure. And we mentioned this earlier. We said Duke was diagnosed with Duke Phillips disease. Wow, he got his own disease. So, so, so about that episode, Chuka, you wanted to say something. Yeah, it starts at the Cannes Film Festival, where Duke was displaying Philip's vision, which replaces downer endings with happier endings. And when he's gone to defend this new 
quote-unquote innovation, clutches his chest, falls to the ground, and is given four years to live. Jay works on a sort of a, a remedy to this symptom to these to this uh, syndrome. He's mixing chemicals and Snapple, testing it out on a hamster, and all of a sudden he sneezes into it, and that proves to be boom. That's the X factor. So Duke takes the serum and is instantly cured. So he Jay asks for one thing in return for uh, um, Phillips's oil. You have to get rid of Phillips' vision. And it turns out that this serum has also been used on a member of the Ku Klux Klan, a whale clubber, a couple of neo-Nazis, and a trio of prisoners. Oh. And once again, written by one of the greats of the medium, John Vitti. Episode 11, A Day at the Races and a Night at the Opera. After Marty bombs out during his elementary school field day, Jay buys his son a guitar and encourages him to take lessons. Meanwhile, after Them Magazine christens Jay the wittiest man in the world, Duke offers to pay $100 to every viewer who does not find Jay funny. Oh, boy. This is the episode, if I recall, where Kareem Abdul-Jabbar guest stars in a cameo where he has Jay as little knothead. Yes, you're exactly right about that. Uh, uh, that he calls him Dr. Knothead after Jay complains. This is demeaning. I have a PhD in film. Okay, Dr. Knothead. So, uh, regarding the subplot of this episode, where uh, where Duke was going to pay $100 to uh, people who don't laugh at Jay's uh, show, all the defendants uh, in a court case regarding this, they were actually at the Meadowlands Sports Arena in Secaucus, New Jersey, and they sang a version of Take Me Out to the Ball Game. Except it's not Take Me Out to the Ball Game. Here's what it is. We're all suing Jay Sherman. We want damages too. We're going to take him for every nickel. You're the reason that we're in this pickle. Shut up. And then episode 12, Uneasy Rider. Ah, I remember this one. He quits this show to become a truck driver after he's asked to promote savvy Indian chewing tobacco. But Duke does find somebody to promote it. Not, not, it's Rex Reed who uh, replaces the Shermometer with the Rexel Thermometer. Yuck, yuck, yuck. Hey, yummy. Yummy, yum, yum. And Jay Sherman, when he became a long-distance trucker, what was his CB handle? Well, first it was lard butt. Lard butt, yes! (laughs) (laughs) Then it became hard butt. And the ultimate irony is, what was he hauling across the country? Savvy Indian chewing tobacco. 
another great episode. Uh, yep. And, and then the last episode from the ABC run, A Pig Boy and His Dog. Eleanor writes a children's book called The Fat Little Pig, and we mentioned this earlier, uh, featuring a character based on Jay. Meanwhile, Jay adopts a Great Dane puppy who grows up too fast and becomes a nuisance because Great Danes aren't dainty little dogs. They're not little Pomeranians or anything like that. But yeah, this, this is the one where uh, all of the children would uh, call Jay the fat little pig and go oink, oink, oink. Yeah, and uh, another reason for Jay to be upset with his mother. Meanwhile, she's a, a writing superstar because she wrote this hit book. This also has one of my favorite movie parodies where they have Barney the Dinosaur the movie with Marlon Brando as Barney the Dinosaur. With Marlon Brando inside the Barney the Dinosaur costume. Because I guess they couldn't afford Caitlin Deaver's dad to do the voice. And meanwhile, Margo and Eleanor are talking about her future plans to attend Eleanor's um, alma mater, L'Université Française de Hackensack. Oh, more French. <laughs> this should have been required fun. watching for, for French classes back in the day with all the, the French names in this uh, show. And another and another thing that this episode did was rely on the fact that what comes out after this episode? Home improvement. Uh, two of Franklin's jokes, he goes out back and asks for advice from a person he thinks is Wilson, but is oh, actually... Oh, I know what's a, coming. Uh, ...is Scarecrow. And the first time is... The first time he ends up talking to a frog, says, Ribbit, ribbit, ribbit. Goes to Eleanor and says, You should rivet. Rivet, rivet, rivet. <laughs> and you see her with a construction hat on, a hard hat... Riveting, yes. But then the second time, Chico, do it! Well, well, it looks like, well, it looks like my wife is happy. Ooh. Ooh. My wife, Eleanor. 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 Ooh. Ooh. And, and this continues ad nauseum. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Again, so many great moments from this show. And and it ends just perfectly with uh somebody is writing tiny and then Jay is l- being drugged by a pack of little pigs saying good night and a special good night to everybody tuning in for home improvement. Huh? And then it moved to Fox in 1995. The first episode that aired on Fox was Sherman, Woman, and Child. And this is where we meet Alice. Jay worries he may be fired due to coming attractions, low ratings, and Duke suddenly uh, being nice to him. He then befriends a single mother from the South named Alice and develops feelings for her. However, Alice's adulterous country-singing husband, Cyrus voiced by Sam McMurray, has returned and wants her back. And guess who she goes to in the end? She stays with Jay. Aww. Have one of the greatest moments at the end. Alice. 
You, you make every home a palace. Even Brooklyn would be Dallas if you would be with me, or something like that. And then, here comes Jay with an accordion. Cyrus, he's just a virus. He wants to tie you down while you're still young. Your potential is what's essential. You could be the next Connie Chung. Oh, God. There's a timely reference. Yeah, because this was around the time where she was co-hosting the CBS Evening News with Dan Raver. Uh-huh. Well, well, but also it's around the time that her and, and Maury Povich came forward with their um, their oh, issues yeah. regarding having children. Yeah. And then episode two uh, in the Fox run, Sherman of Arabia, at Marty's slumber party, Jay tells the story of how he ended up in Iraq during the Gulf War in the early 1990s. Oh, yes. And one of my favorite parts in the episode is he's at the Iraqi Film Festival watching an Iraqi adaptation of Green Acres called Brown Acres. What's next? My mother, the camel? And he was eventually thrown in jail where he escaped and led a troop of men across the desert. Sort of sounds a little bit like Lawrence of Arabia, if you ask me. That was that's exactly what Jay said. And also, all the critics rallied around Jay with a special tribute song called Critic Aid. Yes, and they actually did have Rex Reed and they had Gene Shallot. Uh, they had Gene Shallot and they had Siskel and Ebert. That's some star power right there. You got like the four best film critics in America at that time. And they're all contributing to this episode. Somewhere out a rocky way beneath the sands is our friend Jay. He fought off bombs and bayonets. To him we raise our raisinets. But the hour 75 they raised would come too little too late. Next up, uh, episode three in the Fox run is a song for Margo. This is where Margo dates the uh, the uh, grunge rocker we mentioned earlier, Johnny Rath, uh, from the band Nuns in a Blender. And the subplot of this episode is Alice tries to find a good preschool for Penny, her daughter. And guess who is all but willing to oblige? Franklin. Yep. And you know that can't go over too well. Actually, no. Alice uh, goes to Rainbow's End, which was just ideal. But the headmaster refuses to admit Penny. Alice explains the situation to Jay, who turns to Duke for help. And then Duke confronts the headmaster, and he jokingly challenges Duke to build his own bigger and better preschool... Which he does. The Duke Phillips Preschool. Built on a dare. Uh, next episode is From Chunk to Hunk. Jay and Marty go to a weight loss camp where Marty dramatically loses weight and becomes one of the popular kids in school. At the same time, Jay fears for his life when a pretty boy action star threatens to kill him. 
the sad thing about this episode is, yes, Marty lost all this weight, but he wasn't happy inside. And he ended up getting it all back because yeah. he, he wanted to be himself. He he didn't like being thin, even though he was more popular with the students. But he, he became his old chubby self, if you will. And this also has one of my favorite parodies, which is a parody of Speed called Speed Reading. <laughs> Dennis Hopper has to make Keanu Reeves read a book. If it doesn't, if he reads on under 50 words a minute or less, the book explodes. And the joke is Keanu Reeves is reading very, very slowly. And the book is One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish. Oh, and the pretty boy action star, boy, I wonder who they're talking about here, is Belgian actor Jean-Paul Le Pope. I have no idea who they might be referencing there. Here's the thing. His name references Jean-Claude Van Damme. His uh, design references Steven Seagal. Oh, he looks exactly like Steven Seagal with the ponytail before Steven Seagal got all lumpy. But but yeah, he looks just like him. Yeah. Yeah, before Steven Seagal looked like the dead ringer for Anthony Enoly as the master. And the and the word is not lumpy, it's fluffy. Fluffy lumpy. Interesting <laughs> that was on, ep- we're talking about this on an episode called From Chunk to Hunk. Uh, Steven Seagal sort of did the opposite. He went from hunk to chunk. <laughs> uh, okay, next episode. That would be, uh... I'm not wrong, though. No, you're not. No. no. Uh, episode 18, Lady Hawk, we actually get to meet Jeremy Hawk's sister. Ah, the lovely Olivia Newton Hawk. Yes. And, uh, after, uh, Jay takes Olivia on a tour of the city, she falls in love with him and the two start dating. And, uh, what do you think happens? It strains the relationship between Jay and Alice, who realizes that she's also in love with Jay. So two women, one film critic, what's a man going to do? And next episode is Frankie and Ellie get lost. Franklin and Eleanor are presumed dead after their plane crashes on the island, and Jay uses the money left to him in the will to make New York City a better place. There's so much good stuff going on here. First, when, uh, first when Franklin and Eleanor go on this trip, on this vacation, Franklin goes to the cockpit, and who's piloting the plane but a penguin? No, penguin. Oh, Oh, sorry. Penguin! Penguins Penguins can't fly! Yeah. So so the joke uh, going into the commercial break is, penguins can't fly! Penguins can't fly! And you see the plane then spiral down and, 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 uh, and crash. But also, Jay uses the money left to make New York City a better place. Uh, that include cleaning up the city, and not just cleaning up in terms of like crime, uh, but also in terms of like pollution, dirt, stuff like that. And another moment that's ingrained in my brain forever: Jay takes a hose and starts cleaning off buildings by spraying water at it. And he gets to the library and he starts he starts uh, shooting water from the hose at the library. And unfortunately, a letter of the the signage for the library falls off. The letter that fell off is the letter L. 
Uh, it was from uh, the sign that says New York Public Library. Get rid of the L in public and you have New York Pubic Library. Oh, and everybody oh, starts oh. running into the library because it's the New York Pubic Library and they're disappointed when they find out it's the same old books that were in the regular library. Oh, <laughs> that's horrible. It's horrible, but it's funny. And while I was thinking about monkeys in this episode. It turns out uh, the monkey butler, which was a surrogate for Shackleford. Shackleford, by the way, being their regular butler. Yes, I remember that. Episode 20, Cisco and Ebert and Jay and Alice. And this, oh my gosh, this I think has one of the best endings. I love this. So after Jay attends the Academy Awards, Cisco uh, and Ebert, Gene Cisco and Roger Ebert, break up and each rope Jay to be their new partner. So this episode, the ending is absolutely great. So Jay was able to lure Cisco and Ebert on the top of a roof. And in this scene, the uh, lights on another building light up and form a heart to which Siskel and Ebert comment and say, well, this is just a ripoff of Sleepless in Seattle. And uh, one of them also says, and itself, Sleepless in Seattle was a ripoff of An Affair to Remember. And then he says, what, Greg? Which wasn't that good of a movie to start with. <laughs> Said like film critics. Yeah. And I also remember um, this was probably like one of the best episodes of The Critic. I remember when um, when Gene Siskel passed away in 1999 on Siskel and Ebert uh, when they did the uh, tribute to Gene Siskel. Roger played uh, one of the clips from the from that episode on the show. I didn't know that. That's great. I didn't know that either. Episode 21, All the Duke's Men. Duke runs for president and hires Jay to be his campaign manager. Oh, but this this is why we one of my one of my favorites. Um, because you have at the start, we mentioned Morty was running for United Nations class president. And who happens to be one of the candidates in the debate against him? Zoltan Veramiramich. Not only that. But you also have, for some reason in the debate, Michael Dukakis? Because he I thought- figured I would start with an election I could win. Yeah. Boo! <laughs> you suck! And it's funny, because you know who portrayed Michael Dukakis on SNL? John, John Lovitz. Yup. It's all come full circle. Mm-hmm. And... Mar- uh, Marty and both of the campaigns have sort of disastrous ends, uh, starting with Marty, who ends up completing only half of the uh, of the classes uh, float in the parade. There's a parade. It turns uh, the eighth grade float was a, a it was supposed to be a horse, right? It yes, turns out a horse. It was supposed to be a horse. Turns out to be the back end of the horse. And then it becomes a flaming horse's pursuit. And then it destroys the Winter Garden Theater playing cats. 
and Jay has one of the most iconic lines, and nothing of value was lost. So, also in the episode, as we mentioned, Duke begins his uh, run for uh, the presidential nomination. He was kind of like the prototypical Mike Bloomberg of 1996, thinking that he could buy the nomination. Because, you know, this isn't timely at all, isn't it? Uh, Just a bit, you know. Yeah. But one of my favorite parts in the episode is where he has this Hall of Presidents type thing with, like, caricatures of, like, Lincoln and Kennedy talking about, ask what what you can do for your country, but what you can do for Duke Phillips. You can fool half the people all the time, but you can't fool old Duke. Ultimately, Duke ends up hiring June Lockhart to be his wife. Yes. And not only that, one of the promises also was Duke would try to bring back everyone who was lost in space, even Dr. Smith. Yeah. So then, later in the episode, Duke decides... He needs a running mate. And who better to get as his running mate than Jay's dad, Franklin. Former governor of New York, Franklin Sherman. Yes. And as... and Hold up. So, Franklin, when he reveals himself to Jay that he's going to be Duke's running mate, he says, I'm going to be vice president. And I'm going to be honest with the American people. I'm not going to wear this toupee anymore. And he rips off his hair. And then Jay says, Dad, you don't wear a toupee. Franklin says, I will from now on. And ultimately, Duke decides once Jay quits his campaign to just be honest. Three guesses how that ends up. No, not good. Not good at all. Probably the same as the Mike Bloomberg campaign. Well, it didn't end with Lassie biting uh, Duke Phillips, or Lassie biting Mike Bloomberg in the you-know-where, you know? But darn it, it should have. Okay. Episode 9 of Season 2, Dukerella. Alice's upstaging sister arrives in search of a rich husband and quickly turns her attentions to Jay. Why? Every woman wants Jay in this show. You had it in the pilot. You have it now. You had it at the start of the second season with Alice. Everybody wants a film critic. Yeah, Yeah, apparently... But ultimately, she falls in love with Duke while she's at a disguise party. So Duke doesn't know who this lady is, and he gets desperate trying to look for her. And basically turns into Cinderella. There's a lost slipper, and Duke must find uh, who had the slipper and goes... uh, goes uh, and goes to every female to see if their foot fits in the slipper. Yeah. And and, and um, one little twist. The slipper didn't fit Miranda. The slipper fit Doris. Oh, boy. But, hey, 
Miranda has a job at Mattress in an hour. Everybody suggests Duke call Mattress in an hour. It and magic ultimately happens. Duke got a mattress in an hour? Duke got a mattress in an hour. Man, those are some good times. And the final broadcast episode, fittingly enough, I can't believe it's a clip show. And it's pretty much what you just said. It was a clip show. But with one little twist. During the clip show, which happened to be the 10th anniversary show of coming attractions at Carnegie Hall, the show's held hostage by terrorists. Fortunately, in the end, everybody is rescued, and you won't believe who rescues everybody. Who rescues everybody? Milton Burl. Oh, that's great. You have Uncle Milty coming in to save the day. His legendary genitalia went into the bomb and confused the wires so much. <laughs> oh. Too bad he couldn't save this show. One uh, fact I want to mention about this episode, it actually was supposed to air originally a month earlier, but considering that there was kind of, if you think about the time frame, May of 1995, and you think of a certain event that happened the previous month, yeah. You can see why they moved it. Yeah. And then there are 10 webisodes. We're not going to go through the webisodes. As I said, they are on the DVD set, which you can find. And actually, the DVD set was so popular, it's been through five printings now. Wow. Or at least, or at least five printings. So that tells me people love this show, just like the three of us. Yep. And to end the episode, we're going to talk about the end of each episode. The end of each episode was great. You had Jay sitting in a theater, in, in a movie theater, watching the credits on the screen. And then you'd have an usher saying, it's time to leave, Mr. Sherman. And, or, or the film's over. And, and Jay always had, uh, they used like five or six different lines. Yeah, I, I'm stuck in the seat. Something like that. Absolutely great way to end the show. Yeah, it was. Is the snack bar still open? Yes. And with that, we're going to put this show to rest. Yep, the critic was perhaps one of the most brilliantly written, brilliantly produced, brilliantly animated shows on television. But because it was perhaps maybe too smart for its time, it was just a thing on TV. But it was a beloved thing on TV. It was a beloved thing on TV. Indeed. So as always, remember you can find back episodes social media links, everything you'd like to know about the show at itwasthethingontv.com. Please be sure to like and subscribe, rate and review, tell us how we're doing. And don't forget to share because sharing is caring. Yep. That's what the kids say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, later on this week, we're going to come back with another episode of another beloved show that we really, really enjoy. We're, we're definitely not uh, being snarky on these episodes. These are episodes that we absolutely love. So that'll be happening later on this week. 
Uh, until then, thank you for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Voices are impersonated. No celebrities were harmed in the filming of this episode. Excuse me, the show's over. Get away, Pipsqueak. That's why I love her.